Welcome to the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by Interay Life Sciences Consulting. In this podcast, you'll hear from leaders in the life sciences industry, how they grew into their current roles, the lessons they learned along the way, and advice for those aspiring to follow in their footsteps. I am the host. My name is Mike Ferletic, and I'm the CEO of Interay Life Sciences Consulting. At Interay, we help leaders orchestrate the positive change they want to see in their organization. Are you ready to be recognized for your leadership success? Take a listen. Welcome, everyone. We've got a great show for you today. I cannot wait to get started. First, though, I want to introduce my co-host, Courtney Boudreau. Hi, Courtney. Hi, Mike. How are you? Good, good. How are you? And I, I just realized I didn't even introduce myself, so maybe <laughs> I should introduce myself. My name is Mike Ferletic. I'm the CEO of Enteray Life Scientist Consulting. I'm excited to be hosting here and uh, good to hear from you, Courtney. We haven't talked in like a week, I think. I'm wondering what you've been up to. So I think last time I was telling you about my catastrophe. Yes. About <laughs> the devil cat who I had to return. But update on that, I have another feline friend who I know you just saw on camera here. His name is also Bo, Bo Cephas. Yeah, he's he's super cute. He's hanging out on the table with me right now, eating some treats. So nice. All is well. We went for a walk to Starbucks this morning. I put him I have a cat backpack, so <laughs> we went and got a pumpkin spice latte. I'm slowly but surely becoming that crazy cat lady. But I'm I'm okay with that. I've accepted it. So it's that time of year, pumpkin spice latte time. No, I know. Fall is in the air. It's so gloomy where I am, but it's oh, okay. Yeah. I kinda like it. So what about you? What I've been up to is I've been trying to get lots and lots and lots of photos digitized from the old days. We had a ton. I went through have you guys heard of Legacy Box? They should be a sponsor on this show. I think, but if you uh, send in your old photos to Legacy Box, they'll turn them into digital photos, so or videos or whatnot. So what I've been doing, it's kind of has a little dual purpose. I've always wanted to get these things digitized, but uh, my wife and I are celebrating our 25th anniversary next month. So I conveniently said, "Hey, why don't we get our uh, wedding video digitized?" And uh, I'm trying to put together a little something with that. I had to find a way to to do it without revealing too much about what I was trying to do. So my wife was all on board with digitizing because really we don't, we've never watched the video because we don't have a VHS player anymore. So now, Courtney, I do know what a VHS player is. You know what a VHS player is? Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Yes. I was just going to follow it up with that. Yeah, I do know when my brother and I were little, so I think we were under 10 VHS was still around and then DVD came and it was like, Ooh, yeah. But I remember we would, <laughs> my brother would ruin the videos because he would pull the film out and then we'd have to like wind it up slowly. So yeah. That's a common habit as well, you know, and that's the kind of thing I worry about. Like that tape's going to be bad pretty soon. So I want to yeah. get it digitized. Have, and, yeah. have your kids ever seen it? I highly doubt it because I don't think I've, I don't think I've played it in maybe ever <laughs> so, to be honest. Well, that's such a Isn't lovely awful? gift. I know. So yeah, so we'll we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But I am worried about like all the photos. You know, one thing about nice about having all those photos is that we actually have them. But now all our photos are on on our phones. So yeah, we lose our phones. We lose our, all of our our memories forever. I don't know. Do you do you uh, capture all those photos in some way? I mean, I have you know my my phone mainly, but. One really cool gift I got my mom for Christmas, which we waited until Mother's Day to put up, <laughs> was mixed tiles. So 
our house was redone about 10 years ago. I should say their house, you know, family's house. And they hadn't like put any of the photos back up or like, you know, redecorated it again with kind of like the personal family type photos on the walls and such. So that was her ask was, you know, getting, getting photos back on the walls for Christmas. So I actually was able to go through all of the photos I had on my phone and I downloaded some from Facebook and, you know, some from her page and just the nice photos of us that we hadn't captured in print um, over the years. And I ordered, I think it was like 18 of these mixed tiles where they're blocks and you can just stick them on the wall. And now our entryway, we have all these really pretty photos. So there's some of like the two of us, a lot of family photos, all of like our achievements over the years. So both college graduations. Yeah, it's really nice. So yeah, that's awesome. Kind of the limitation of print photos, but I think they're still really cool. That is really cool. I like that idea. I think I'll have to uh, put that into practice as well. Get some of those pictures and just get them off of our phones, I think is probably the first step, right? So yeah, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, awesome. So I'm glad to hear you're doing well. Glad to be back here in the uh, virtual studio of our podcast and uh, looking forward to talking to our guest. Our guest today is Harriet Johnson. She is a manager here at Interay. Been with us roughly one year, right, Harriet? I have. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm sure. I've uh, had the distinct pleasure of working with Harriet pretty closely over the last year, uh, and she's been doing great work with the client that she's been serving. Harriet is a veteran of the U.S. Navy, and as you'll learn, she earned her Navy ROT scholarship to afford school outside of her home state of Georgia, and she went to Tufts University in Boston, Massachusetts. I think they are the Jumbos, right, Harriet? That is correct. Go Jumbos. How would I know that? After Tufts, she did move on to active duty in the Navy for 12 years as a helicopter pilot and staff officer and then served an additional five years as a reserve officer. Uh, She's been in pharma now for over seven years and seen a breadth of operations, mostly in manufacturing at large and medium-sized companies. Uh, Some examples of what she was involved in was she was a shop floor supervisor for a labeling line and also a supply chain planner for a product launch into various ex-U.S. markets. She lives with a continuous improvement mindset and service orientation. She also lives with four kids and a husband. She has launched two corporate-wide technology platforms to support internal training initiatives, and she enjoys consulting because home for her is where I can help the people who do the work be more successful. So most recently, she has helped multiple clients internally unify to formalize policies and procedures. In her spare time, Harriet enjoys crafting and having adventures with friends. So I am really looking forward to learning more about Harriet and hearing more about her experience with different leaders and her own leadership journey. So without further delay, let's say hello to one of Tufts University's Jumbo's finest alumni, Harriet Johnson. Welcome, Harriet. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, thank you. It's great to have you. So we always like to start the podcast just by asking our guests, you know, what, what's a little bit about, about you and how did you get to this point in your career? Awesome. So I left the military and um, lucked into this fantastic program at Merck called the Manufacturing Leadership Development Program. And that gave me a, a nice breadth of understanding of what the pharmaceutical industry is all about. And so I started in the sterile liquids pilot plant and did a rotation there. I got my green belt while I was at it because I had done all of the training when I was in the military, but didn't understand the value of the piece of paper. So this was my first opportunity to actually like, all right, let's let's get it documented. Because as we all know, in pharma, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. So got my green belt there. And then I went on and did a uh, packaging rotation. 
And then I also did a supply chain planner rotation. And then I joined their continuous improvement shop at Merck. And that was really exciting. And during that time, my husband got a job in the San Francisco Bay Area. We were living in Pennsylvania at the time. And he found his dream job here in the Bay Area. And Merck was amazingly gracious and let me work remote. And that was great. I'm also an extreme extrovert. And so at the time, you know, it it just wasn't working for me after a little bit of time. And so I found a local job in a similar continuous improvement role. And then the pandemic hit. And as we mentioned before, my husband was, uh, we were college sweethearts and he followed me on the military journey and gave up and took his career backseat on multiple occasions, um, you know, in service of our nation. And so when the pandemic hit and something kind of had to give and our four beautiful babies are now at home with us all the time, including the youngest who was three at the time. It was a little bit more than we could work and handle. So I gave way to the pandemic and he has continued on to do great things. And then once all of that has kind of mellowed, obviously the pandemic isn't over, but at least we've all kind of figured out how to work it. I was able to join Enteray at that point and am very excited to help support all of our clients continue their do their good work and continue to do achieve their corporate objectives in a wide variety of ways. So it's good stuff. Yeah, that's amazing. So I know with your military career, you mentioned that you've lived kind of all over the world. So would you be willing to share with us all the places you've lived and how that adventure was? Absolutely. So even before the military, I hit a sort of classic cross-cultural American background. I think one of the interesting parts about my story is it's a, a classic example of you can't judge a book by its cover, right? So my mom is from Venezuela. My dad is from Kansas. I was born in Venezuela, but grew up in the United States. And I've spent a significant amount of time visiting family down there. When I was in the military service, I lived three years in Japan. I lived 18 months in Naples, Italy. I spent five years in San Diego, I guess a total of seven once you count some training periods in there. I grew up in Atlanta. I've been in SoCal. I've lived in NorCal for the last five years now. My dad's from Kansas. I went to school in Boston. I kind of been all over the place. It's a lot of fun. And during that time in Europe, I was working on a staff that was working on a multinational exercise. So I had the chance to go down to Tunisia. I had the chance to spend some time in Malta. I had the chance to go to the southern part of Italy. There was there was a lot of traveling around that's happened. Give me, I forget the question. So where did the question come in? <laughs> that was exactly it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Where okay. so, have you been? Where in the world is Harriet Johnson? Yeah. So I have to ask also, as somebody who went to college in Northern California, but has lived my entire life in Southern California, which one do you vote for? I am NorCal all the way. No offense <laughs> to our SoCal friends, but growing up on the East Coast, I love my seasons. And Northern California has a full three seasons and I can opt into snow when I want to. And that's just the best of all possible situations. Like snow is three hours away in Tahoe. It's great. I can have it for my three days a year that I want it. And I can just live in the spring and the summer, which is where you get all the accessories and the fun things. And, and that that's my jam. So I got to say, I agree. I mean, Southern <laughs> California is where the family is. But yeah, no, Northern California always has that place in my heart as well. So I fully agree. And it's gorgeous down there. Like it, it's definitely beaches, you know, the beaches and sunshine are great in Southern California. So absolutely beautiful. Love it. But choice to live. I want I want all three seasons. Absolutely. Very good. I'm actually kind of fond of the fourth season. I actually like snow, but I, I think I would probably eventually decide, eh, I don't think I need all this snow. I can move on to just the uh, three days a year that you're talking about. And I, I'd have to blame Boston for that one, to be honest with you, because winters in Boston are bitter cold. 
as are winters in Japan. Boston definitely prepared me for the bitter cold winters in Japan. And so, and you know, and just after you spend a couple times in the, in the multiple negative digits, but I didn't grow up in them. Like I'm just, I'm happy to opt into the snow. So speaking of Japan, I know that you were a helicopter pilot. And if I understand correctly, you were the first female helicopter pilot of a Seahawk helicopter. Is that right? Yeah. So um, my squadron was HSL 51 and it was one of the last squadrons to have female pilots integrated into it. So I wasn't the first female pilot in the squadron, but it was a what's called a composite squadron. So you have most of the helicopters were doing the mission of the SH-60 Bravo Sikorsky Seahawk, which I was doing. And then there was also um, a detachment that was specifically assigned to support the admiral that is stationed out there. And so he had a VIP detachment. So there were some women pilots on the VIP detachment. I was the first one on the tactical side. And so I was maybe female pilot number four in the squadron, but the first one on the tactical side. And it was, it was interesting and a lot of fun. Yeah. I was going to ask you, like, did that fact alone present any interesting challenges for you in terms of kind of finding your way in that in that in the tactical squadron? I think so. I think I did a lot of growing in that space because going into it I was very very little house on the prairie, very goody two shoes and as we all know that's not really the world that the military lives in much less when you have, you know, anybody who's been in a major engineering field or who's been in a major scientific field when you kind of walk into that, you know, male dominated environment the sweet innocence that I presented at the time was maybe not the most conducive. So I definitely grew a lot and and learned a lot in that environment. And I think it's definitely benefited me as I've come along and, and developed in my career. So as you've mentioned, and I can tell you're very shy and not very outgoing. So, so was it really, was it challenging to find your leadership voice in that environment? I think there's a lot of incredible people. And I think there is incredible service to be had no matter where your experience comes from. So there's definitely challenges with being less than 10% of the population, right? We're 55 pilots. By the time I left, there was maybe five total women pilots. And there was always only over four or five total. And the first female department head has gone on to do incredible things. A a really amazing lady named Amy Bauernschmidt has just been named the first, and she was the first female helicopter pilot to be head of an aircraft carrier. And she's now, she is, her career is sailing and doing fantastic things because she's an incredible lady who's, you know, survived the Naval Academy and many other. She has thrived in that largely male environment that that I definitely had to adjust somewhat to. I think, yes, finding my leadership voice was a little bit difficult because I did present more typically feminine, more typically docile, more typically in Latin American backgrounds, like there is that sort of, you listen to what the men say and you just do a thing. And I had a, a real blind faith in leadership that there was times when it is fantastic to be a follower. And there's times when it can sometimes be hard to be a leader. Like I had a, I had an air crewman after flying with me, tell me that women shouldn't be pilots. And it's like, all right, sucks to be you. That's not my problem. But like that did happen. And then there were also just a host of great and amazing people. So I think it's just, uh, there's a lot to be said for everyone's journey and going and diving into a deep end and diving into a world that you don't know. I mean, Japan, they drive on the other side of the road. It's, you know, they don't have our characters. So, uh, you know, unlike places in Europe where, hey, maybe you don't speak French, but at least you you can see the letters that that you grew up with on all of the signage everywhere. Like, that's not true in Japan. And then to boot at the time, we were deploying a good 50% of the time. 
So there was just this constant flux of being in for two weeks, being out for two weeks, and um, adjusting to the microcosm of the 25 guys that you deploy with, and then coming back home to being with the full squadron of, you know, 400 or so people. You know, there's my ability to be a leader in that environment really directly reflected other people's respect of women at the time, because I don't think I super found my voice per se when it came to official formal roles and titles. There's, there's, there's a lot more that went on in the background that I had to grow into at that point in time. And, and hard work will serve you anywhere you go, right? So as long as you're working hard and doing good things, there's a lot of good to be had there. I think I found a little bit more difficult to understand, or I should say I learned the hard way about career development from a, if you want to continue to grow and progress, you need to find the jobs that are operationally visible. Because there's always tons of work to be done. There's always lots of good to be had. In that case, at that time, I filled a lot of the need to get done tasks that didn't necessarily hit the most important, most urgent category of life. And and that didn't serve me, right? But you got to learn the lesson somehow. So yeah, I think that's a great, I mean, great history. But I think as I take away what you said, it's very much a learning experience. Absolutely. And so much good to be had. And, and like I said, just a lot of really great people. So it's gotten me here to this day. So I have to be thankful for it. Right. So <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. So I used to work in EMS, which is paramilitary, definitely not military level, but yep. I worked with a lot of people who have kind of the same attitudes of it's a male dominated field. And there were days where, you know, I would just go home feeling so defeated and so upset. And how did you keep your head up, you know, throughout those experiences? So I am gifted or skilled with an incredible amount of resilience. Like I had a ship's captain once compare me to like those blow up clowns that you might have when you're a kid that are weighted sand at the bottom, you just get knocked over and you just pop back up. Ha ha. So I have a little bit of that element of, all right, cool. What can we do today? And I was born a soccer mom and team rah-rah person long before I ever had children. So like I was, I was the girlfriend that sat in the stands while my hockey playing husband, you know, eventually to be husband was at practice in college. And they, you know, kind of brought me onto the team and I sang the national anthem and I brought them oranges and all the dumb team mom stuff. And I'm, you know, 18 to 22 at the time. So I think that element of, you know, what's your light, what's your jam is what you need to find and value that even if the world doesn't doesn't value that. I think that's really in, incredible. Like we talk about leadership journeys and one of the, the prep questions that you guys gave me was like, who do you admire, right? And, and I think it ties into this story because there's this one woman, Tammy Riley, who made it to the rank of captain before she retired. And she's got a little bit of an audacious, gregarious outgoing, but she really does an amazing job of embracing who she is and getting the job done and leading others to do good things. And I think that if I can encourage this next generation of leaders to do anything, it's to start with, you know, own your light, whatever it is, right? Whatever, whatever your special sauce is, like just sit in it for a little while and know that, that your path is going to take you somewhere where that jam is good, is really good jam. And so don't, you know, find your light, hang on to that light, and that will get you through the darkness. And then also those, those moments of difficulty, 
like they're what give you that resilience and that tenacity later on in life, but you got to see them that way, you know, similar to what we've, Mike is amazing and puts us all through some internal training. And, and one of those is, you know, everybody is rolling a rock up a hill, that that story of everybody's rolling up a rock up a hill, but one guy's building a th- cathedral and one guy's just shoving rocks up a hill, right? And so you got to figure out that, all right, this, this dark moment, hey, I'm building in a cathedral somewhere. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to see it. Awesome. You said something else that really caught my ear because I say it a lot too, which is learning things the hard way. So for some reason, I always feel like I learn a lot of things the hard way, you know, when, when there might have been an easier way or a decision that I made that I probably shouldn't. So whenever, you know, we meet new folks here at NTRA or, you know, bring people on board, I always try to make an effort to let them know if these are all the things that I learned the hard way. And I'm telling you because I want you to, to learn from that and not, not learn it the hard way as well. So was there ever a decision that you made that you wish you wouldn't have or something along those lines? I make a lot of my decisions in life from the perspective of when I'm 80, is it going to matter? What am I going to want to have done in this moment when I'm sitting with the grandkids or the, or the whoever I'm, you know, looking back on my life on my deathbed or whatever the case may be, right? And from a career progression standpoint, I don't think so a whole lot, to be honest with you. I've, I've definitely been through my fair share of solidly painful moments. Um, no doubt about it. And from a professional perspective, I think they have all helped to shape and mold me into a better human being in a facet of my life that matters, right? And the moments that I have that that hit regret are random personal decisions. So like I'm a, I come from a singing family. And when I was in Japan, I had joined a choir and I had joined a Japanese choir. So I was like the sole non-Japanese person in this choir, right? And there was a moment to um, sing. And it turns out that I had to leave. My tour ended on the day of the concert that we had spent months preparing for. And I wish I had given greater pushback to try and stick around for one more day. I just kind of said, Aye, aye, all right, I'm going to follow orders. This is the day they gave me. I, you know, and and I, I did try and push a little bit, but not hard enough, right? That's a place where I wish I would have been more forthright. But from a career perspective, yeah, there's a lot of coulda, woulda, shouldas, but it doesn't. I'm here, I'm here <laughs> now, right? So yeah, I think it's just a matter of it goes back to if I could learn earlier on to value what I bring to the table and be truthful to that, then I think that would be great. But I can't pinpoint that to one decision, right? I can't pin, you know, I did a lot of just trying to follow what, you know, what I was told to do and just, just, all right, this is the beaten path, but I've never been cookie cutter, right? That's never been my thing. And, and I'm learning now 20 years into it that like, there is no normal. There's a lot of beaten paths, but normal's not really a thing. And that would have been really nice to know 10 years ago. (laughs) Very good. So Harriet, I know in the military, a lot of people think about leadership as being very brash, kind of yelling at people and whatnot. Did you see it that way when you were in the military? Not at all, quite frankly, quite the opposite. I'm very much of the philosophy that leadership is leadership is leadership no matter where you go. And that especially for anybody who has been gone through the military in a specific leadership role. So you either made it to the ranks of 
leadership abilities or you were an officer of any variety, you know, the, the tenets and the principles of, of leadership are, are fairly universal. And what you see in the movie, you know, the George Patton's and the, the war scenarios and the, this, that, and the other, like those exist for sure, but it's, that's the glorious 10%, not the daily 90, right? And, and the daily 90% is so much more the same thing that works here in the real world, right? How much have you built respect for other people so that they'll give it back for you? How much did you support the individual so that when they came to work, they were able to be a whole human being? How much did you try and get the roadblocks out of the way so that the people who needed to do the work weren't sitting there moving roadblocks? They were just traveling down the road that you asked them to, to travel on. And so I think that that is largely undercredited. And people, you know, when I sometimes, I, I worry sometimes when I say, hey, I'm a veteran, of people going, oh, oh, so you're probably a barker. And it's like, no. We have a lot of great phrases in, in the military, depends on your service, branch of service as to what they are. But one of the ones in the Navy is, if you take care of the people, the mission will take care of itself. And, and I really think that's true. I really think there's a lot to be said for that. And it's a lot of what attracted me to Enteray, the whole people drive results tagline. Like I just really sings true to me. And so, yeah, I, I think leadership is leadership no matter where you are. Hey, Courtney, a lot of our clients we work with have great ideas on how to improve their business, but they just run into challenges that seem to get in the way of accomplishing their goals. Have you ever seen that? Yeah, of course. It happens all the time. I've seen clients struggle with a lack of visibility into all the work that's happening within their organization. I've seen clients that are focused on manual tasks, which takes away from focusing on the actual project work. And I've seen leadership struggle to make decisions due to lack of timely information. That's so true. It seems like just knowing the problems to fix is only half the battle. How'd you help your clients address those challenges? Well, we, of course, first work with our client to design a structured management process that fits their culture and team. And in a lot of situations, we bring in tools like Smartsheet to help the entire project team be more efficient. With the help of Smartsheet, we were able to create dashboards, automate routine tasks, and have the information ready in real time to help support leadership's decision making. Wow, it sounds like you not only execute on the project, but your work helps everyone get more done with less work. I hope so. Smartsheet is a powerful tool, and my clients seem to be really happy with it. That's great. Now, if somebody needs help on their project, what should they do? They should check out NRA.com and schedule a call with us to see how we can help. Sounds like a great idea. Well, thank you. I think it's great. And do you see you now have moved beyond the Navy? You have four kids at home. Do you see leadership that you developed while you were in the Navy applying to your personal life with your kids and even at work here and with your clients? Yeah, absolutely. I think people can learn leadership from many, many grounds. Like there is no single leadership training source by any stretch. And I am continually intrigued by how the 11 leadership principles just directly apply to my family life as well, right? So you can look them up on the internet, but you know, know yourself and seek self-improvement. I don't know a parent who isn't trying to do it better day by day. I don't know a leader in, in the real world who is a leader for real, not necessarily a manager, but a leader who isn't doubting themselves and wondering how they can improve themselves. For my children specifically, there's, you know, train your people as a team. 
Ensure the task is understood, supervised, and accomplished. I don't know a parent that doesn't struggle with handing their child an activity, finding it to be 70% complete, and then, and now you're at a leadership crossroads. What am I going to do about this? Am I going to do the job myself? Am I going to coach my kid to getting it mostly done? Am I going to yell at my child for not completing what they've got going on? Am I going to some combination of all of these things, right? And so, so I think the thing that really maps the most for me between military leadership and those tenets that I learned as a naval officer and the trials that I've been through leading these four precious people to, you know, where they are in life ages four to 12 has come to understand that for my children, especially, they have their perspective and their street corner. And sometimes their horizon and how far out they can see is very different than my own. And that's really obvious with children, right? Your two-year-old, their life is all of five minutes out. If it happened five minutes in the past or five minutes in the future, that's where they are. And that black and white perspective on everybody has their own perspective rings really true and maps over really nicely for me to the business world, except not everybody's a two-year-old. Nobody's a two-year-old, quite frankly. They're their own adults with their own perspectives and their own whereabouts. But it's really helpful for me to realize they might be standing on the opposite side of the street, right? We're on the same street. We're trying to go the same direction. And I'm like, hey, we got to go right. And they're like, no, left. No, we got to go right. No, left. And it's just that understanding of taking a step back out of yourself to say, where are they right now? Okay, how do I help? How do I get to them or bring them to me so that we're all speaking the same language? And that having my children is just an extreme example of they're hungry. If I don't feed them first, they won't listen. That's just all there is to it. I think applies in real conversation as well. If you don't listen to another person first, you're never going to be heard. And it's just, we just think with as adults, well, you know, we're adults. We, let's all be adults here. And it's like, no, we're all people. Two, 82, 42. We're all people. That's great. I love what you just said that in order for people to hear you, you have to listen to them first. I think that's a great, a great statement. It's been one of the hardest lessons to learn. And admittedly, I have to relearn it all the time. I think I'm fairly well-versed academically from a leadership perspective, but I'm always really impressed by how leadership is such a journey, right? It's not, I can learn this lesson today and forget it tomorrow and then I have to learn it again and just go, all right, time to get back up on that horse. All right, I didn't listen today, so I was less effective. <laughs> how can we listen better tomorrow? I think it's, it's an excellent statement too. You know, I grew up in Southern California and going to UC Santa Cruz in Northern California, it was a completely opposite experience. It's in the same state, but it was not the same state. They're very different. Very different. And so, you know, it, it was a little bit of a culture shock. And there were a lot of times I found myself interacting with people or in a class where I didn't necessarily agree with what was being said, but that because I don't agree doesn't mean I can't listen and understand their intentions and why they think the way they do and what their experiences have been to lead them to that sort of conclusion. And that I think is my, my greatest takeaway from my education is you do not have to agree with somebody, but you do have to make an effort to understand where they're coming from and why they think the way they do and how can you, you know, try to compromise and try to try to work with their, their vision of, and what they experience. So. Courtney, I, I'd have to admire you and say you're well ahead of the curve just because the, I guess one of the things that I'm learning now as an adult is that 
because my truth and your truth don't agree with one another does not make either of them less true. (laughs) And that there just really is that opportunity for there to be multiple correct or multiple valid expressions of an opinion or a conversation or a viewpoint, right? That it's, you know, it's not all or nothing. It's really, as human beings, we really describe things really black or white, especially here in the United States. We do a lot of things that are very black or white. And you can see that reflected in in the politics of the day. We're not going to go there, but you can see that very truthfully, right? Yes. And, and taking that alternate perspective that you really, that you just mentioned now about how, hey, I understand where you have come from. I see where you are. I am not there. And this is okay, right? This does not make you any less, any less. It does not make me any less. We both just are in our different locations. Exactly. Yeah. I agree. And that's actually interesting kind of perspective that I think about in terms of the difference between maybe a military experience versus a corporate experience. I'm curious about how maybe you experienced that when you went from the Navy and then into a very corporate environment at Merck. Did did you see that difference kind of firsthand when you when you made the change or was it very similar? They're very different worlds. I think there are some places where the military does a really nice job of saying what is black is black, what is white is white, what is red is red, right? And there, there are some very distinct lines. And I think what the military does very well for the most part is how is less important than your results? Did you get the job done? And there's some, some beauty and some pain in that, right? Because you, know, you will put in your pound of flesh to give to what needs to happen. And I think that's very well recognized and very honorable and very service oriented. And in the business world, there's a lot more people that care about how you do it. There's uh, a lot more opportunity to, to do so many things, right? There, there really are, the world is your oyster. What do you want to make it? <laughs> how do you want to do it? And almost every single state is not will state, right? In, in the military, like, no, you were obligated contractually to service until your service date is up. You know, and if you were me, I took an aviation contract. So at the point at which I got, you know, I was four years when I graduated, guaranteed going to do four years, pay back for my college scholarship, no problem. But a year and a half later, as soon as I got pinned to Naval Aviator, it was 10 years from the day of winging. I wasn't going anywhere for a very long time. There are different worlds that teach a really wonderful, different good and bad in both of the situations, right? They're just different worlds. That's great. I, I do have one Navy question for you. And that is, if you're willing to share, what was your call sign? So my call sign was hairball um, (laughs) because it is a a play on Harriet. Didn't necessarily get used a whole lot. There were definitely a couple others that were uh, less choice that got into the mix beforehand. And I think the, the call sign was a little bit of a play on the situation, right? So I'm pretty good at two shoes, pretty, pretty green. Again, young woman in a largely male environment. There's no, you have sort of three tiers of people in their careers in a squadron. You have the commanding officer and the executive officer who are your senior ranking individuals. You have a 10 or 12 department heads, and then you have the majority 30 to 40 or so uh, pilots who are ages 22, you know, 25 to 27, most of them, give or take, there's some exceptions to that. And so you're in year one, year two, or year three of, of that tour as a, as a pilot and hairball was, and I was, you know, the one woman in that bottom tier 
of folks or one of three or four women in that bottom tier of folks. And so hairball was a little bit of a play on kid sister. Why are you here? Ah, and a play on the name and kosher. Cause like I said, there was a couple that, that didn't quite survive cause they were not politically correct. <laughs> so it goes. Cool. It made sense to me as soon as you mentioned it, just I'm the Harriet and hairball. Hey, it's good. Yeah. So you mentioned Harriet earlier that you like crafting. What kinds of crafts do you like doing? I want to know because I'm super crafty too. So nice. I love crafting. I have been doing things with my hands since I was 10 or younger, whatever the case may be. So it depends on the year. Right now, I've been making masks during the pandemic. Prior to this, I've made hair bows. So little girls hair bows. I've got four daughters. So that was a very popular craft with my children. Or when I had daughters and I could do their hair, now they don't let me touch their heads, which is fine. Um, It's come full circle though. My 12-year-old now likes the hair bows. She puts them in her own hair, but it's been fun. I've gotten the chance to make a couple for her. I've also done paper crafts, so making cards. Never really got into the scrapbooking thing. That's just maybe a little bit too much of a project. I seem to like any small craft that can hit the uh, one to two hour realm is kind of kind of my sweet spot. I can do things that take up to five to seven hours. So I've done a little bit of crochet and knitting and things. And when I was really young, like high school, I actually made paper dolls. So they look like that corn husk material, but it was scrunched up paper in a wide variety. And I would make these eight to 12 inch dolls that would, you know, decorate your house. Cause it was the nineties. Like that, that, that stuff was kitsch and it was good at the time. So, um, you know, you should, uh, I don't know if any of your girls are in dance, but if you find some friends that are in dance, they need a lot of hair bows. So You're right. You're right. That could be a good niche market for me. I love it. Right. <laughs> yeah. My mom was the best cheerleading bow maker when I was in high school. And then in college, she she still wanted to continue her, her cheer mom role. So she made the whole team a bunch of bows. It was really fun. Yeah. There's always a spot for more bows. <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So now, Harriet, I want you to be honest. Do you wish you could still fly a helicopter every day in everyday life, like uh, you know, grocery store or taking the kids to school, letting them rappel out to drop into uh, you know the playground or something? It would be awesome. Being a helicopter pilot is just really, really fantastic and a lot of fun. My personality wasn't as built for the political side of where things were, um, but the actual flying element of it is is a joy and a thrill, and it definitely hits the. It definitely pushes some really fine buttons for me personally. I think it's funny when I've taken a couple surveys with like, how are you compared to your spouse and certain things? And I would argue that my husband is the safer driver, but I am the more tactically proficient driver. Yeah. Um, and so um, the the other day I, I, might, I pulled out of my drive and my children were like, oh, I forgot this basic item of whatever variety. And I was like, all right, cool. And I flipped my hand over the back seat turned it in reverse and like pulled at 25 miles an hour back into my driveway in reverse, perfectly centered on the drive. And my children were like, whoa, mom. And I was like, ooh, probably shouldn't have done that in front of you, but I'm capable. <laughs> so, <laughs> Very good. We should have got that one on video. Don't do that at home, kids. <laughs> Very cool. Well, hey, I'm curious, looking back and, and you know, talking to some of our listeners who are maybe like looking for some nuggets you know, what what are some of the ideas? Like, let's say, what are some of the, the ideas that for someone who's kind of growing in their career, how how would you say to them, do this or do or don't do this in order to kind of build their leadership capabilities and and their path? Absolutely. So I think wherever you have an interest, you need to continue trying to learn and whatever it is that that feeds you in that 
variety, keep doing that. So I would say lead where you stand. Don't wait to be handed a leadership opportunity. You're standing in the middle of one somehow. So whether that is an opportunity to, you know, I said, I sing. So I sing in the choir at church. And recently the person who normally leads a choir hasn't come back. So, hey, there's a void there. I'm, I am able to, if I'm willing to do the planning and the sending out of the notes to everybody and the, and the things that come with that, that leadership uh, role, then it's there and available to me. And I think that's true for everyone, no matter where you stand in life. So as a young operator or as a, as a junior person just coming in, Courtney is sitting here doing this podcast with you, right? This is an opportunity for her to learn from your expertise and lean into where you go. You know, I don't know a company that doesn't have internal initiatives that needs somebody to drive them. That's a prime opportunity for our junior folks to really show themselves, show what they've got, potentially learn in a safe space where you can make those hiccups and mistakes because there'll be somebody there to, to turn to. I would also just put out there that you're not alone. You might be solely responsible, but you're not alone. So leverage your networks, you know, the people that, that sit next to you or somebody that you admire or somebody that is one rank up from you, whatever that happens to be, one or two ranks up from you is a prime space, especially if you're struggling with your direct manager, direct boss, and they, they happen to be, you know, two or three ranks above you. Somebody is an in-between to just be like, Hey, I want to serve my boss. Well, we're not communicating right now. This is what I'm trying to say. Can you help me flesh out what I'm trying to say before I go talk to my boss? Like that is Hey, everybody loves to do that for other people. I don't know anybody who doesn't want to help mentor coach or otherwise. You just got to ask, you just got to, don't worry about looking silly. Don't worry about, don't worry about falling flat on your face. That's the opportunity. That's the opportunity that you have. Like my, my kids, when they were in the first grade, were like, mom, failure is your first, first attempt in learning. And I was like, oh, that's smart, kid. That's fantastic. Because it really is. Success, is. success is that last time that you picked yourself up from when you fell down. I'd say lead from where you stand. There is an opportunity in front of you. And never, just keep learning. Just keep having these conversations, going to TED Talks, going to whatever your favorite podcast. There's a boatload of leadership podcasts and leadership opportunities. So whatever, your, whatever the avenue is that works for your life, books podcast, talking to people, cup of coffee with an old folks home, right? Or, you know, candy striping in a hospital or going to, you know, those locations where our eldest communities are going like the, the greatest generation right now is we're losing them. And they lived, you know, we think the pandemic is hard. They would live through World War One and Korea and World War Two. And like, I think about my grandfather who went from lights to not quite the internet, but pretty close, you know, horse-drawn carriage to F1 racing to, you know, the, the generations that came before us have, they've lived a hot minute. It's not documented on social media, thank goodness. <laughs> but they've done, they've been there somewhere. And so your, your chances to grow are all around you, depending on what works for your life. I love it. I, I want to add one thing, because I, I totally agree with what you said, particularly about the learning aspect. And uh, I will tell you as well, or I will, I will suggest that I have learned so much from Courtney about how to do a podcast. So Courtney hopefully can garner some insights from me, but uh, I'm totally learning a lot from her as well. So there's a 360 degree view of where we can learn, right? And so I, I wholeheartedly agree with, with what you're saying. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Well, thank you, Mike, first off. I really enjoy hosting this podcast with you. So that's, you know, exciting that there's this opportunity in the first place. And Harriet, you said something that, you know, really piqued my interest about recruiting help and asking others and bringing others in when you do need the help in terms of leadership. And it reminds me, have you seen, have you guys seen Dr. Death or heard of Dr. Death? It's a show that's on, I think it's Peacock, NBC. And then there's a podcast on Wondery as well. But Essentially, it was about this physician who was a psychopath, sociopath, but he had this mindset of, oh, if I mess up, it's okay, I'll try again, and I'll just have this fake it till I make it, in it to win it mindset of I'll keep trying and I'll get better, but it was at the expense of patient spines. So it's an example of, you know, kind of the opposite, but part of what they cite in that case is the Hippocratic Oath, where if you can't do it, then you will recruit a colleague who can. And, you know, they they kind of hammer that thought home of if you can't do it, recruit a colleague, get a consult, get that second second opinion, you know, get other people into help. And I find myself doing that quite frequently, you know, working with clients, you know, for instance, I spoke with you yesterday, I was like, Hey, what do you think here? So it's, you know, it, it's so nice to be in this environment and to have people that you can recruit into help. So leadership is all around, I guess. That's awesome. So here, you and I talked one day, and we had lots of interesting parallels in our, our history and whatnot. And one I found out today is that you sing at church. Now, now I don't sing at church, but my wife does. She used to sing in the choir. She used to canter at, at mass. And so interesting uh, connection there too. I, I guess it would have been more of a parallel if your husband actually sang, because then our respective spouses would be the singers. But <laughs> nonetheless, we have a singing, uh, a singing vibe going on. So very cool. Nice. Let's see. I think we got to start wrapping it up here. What do you think, Courtney? Yeah, I think it's game time. Game time. All right. It's game time. Thank you both for the opportunity to be here. I just think, Mike, I'm really impressed by how you continue to serve the internal community and trying to bring what we have internally to enter to support others. I think that's really amazing and fantastic. And that you're letting the youngest among us join us and do that collaborative environment of learning from from all avenues. I think that's just so impressive. So thank you both for inviting me on board and, and having the chance to speak to you today. It's been great. Awesome. We really appreciate you coming and spending your time with us and sharing your background. It's, uh, I think it's really great to get to know everybody and in, in you in this case in, in much more uh, much more detail and the history behind how you got here today. So excited. Yeah, of course. And as somebody who you know works with you, Harriet, and looks up to you, I can testify to all of our listeners right now that everything Harriet said here today is not just all talk. It's very true. She very much lives out everything she said, and she really does set the example and try to remove obstacles for people and really does lead the way for all of us consultants here at NRA. So thank you, Harriet. I'm honored by those words. Thank you. Very good. All right. Now we are uh, we're moving into game time. I think, uh, Harriet, you're the uh, star of the show here again. Oh, that's right. There's a game. I forgot about that. Let's do it. Right up your alley, right? So the game, and it's really simple. It's kind of like this or that. You know, we would play that game in our meetings, but it's lightning round. So <laughs> I'm going to give you a minute, Harriet, to ask all of these questions, and hopefully we could just do our best to to answer them. So awesome. Alrighty. I'm going to set my phone as a timer so I can make it fair. Cause you know, the stakes are high here. Scale of one to 10. How good are you at keeping secrets? Eight and a half. Ariel or Jasmine? Ariel all the way. First celebrity crush. Tom Cruise. Not anymore though. Dawn or dusk? Dawn. If you could travel back in time, what period would you go to? 
Renaissance was the first thing that came to mind. Do you snore? Occasionally, but not normally. Place you most want to travel? Fiji. Favorite junk food? Ice cream. Favorite childhood TV show? Man, there's so many good ones. Gummy bears? (laughs) Favorite season? Spring or fall. I'm really kind of torn. Okay. Last Halloween costume? I was a witch. But that's just because I default to that as a parent. But go ahead. (laughs) Time's up. Oh, what's the last question? I'm curious. I was I was gonna ask cake or pie. Oh, cake all the way. <laughs> well, good to know. That was fun. So eight and a half scale of one to ten on keeping secrets. It depends on the situation, but yeah, for okay. the most part, you need me to keep a secret. I will. I'm like a four. <laughs> I gotta admit, I just I can't lie and I can't keep it in. So that's classic. Very good answers. I, yeah, I had some good. Those are some good ones. I can sing end to end the Little Mermaid for you, the whole nine yards. Whereas I could only sing probably half of Aladdin to you. So, but I think that has to do with like I was the right age, like I was twelve years old when, or something close to that when the Little Mermaid came out, and it was I was just all about it. That's so awesome. Very cool. That's great. All right, Mike, are you ready? Yeah, you're gonna do this for me too. Yeah, but they're different questions this time. Uh oh, different questions. Yes. Let's do it. All right. I'm ready. Let's, okay. let's go. Okay. Pressing start. Favorite ice cream flavor? Oh, double chocolate malted crunch. Can you say a word in Spanish? Bienvenidos. <laughs> Do you believe in fate? Absolutely. What's your favorite number? Eight. Who has it easier, men or women? Oh, my God. You can't make me answer that question. We could skip that one. Men. Men. Definitely. Men. Okay. <laughs> Have Good you job, ever Mike. worn... <laughs> Have you ever worn socks with sandals? Oh, God. Uh, yes, probably. <laughs> okay, so name a primate besides monkeys and apes. Goodness. Is like an orangutan? Is that yeah. in the monkey and ape category? Yeah, I'll take okay. it. Sourdough or wheat? Sourdough. Name one of the seven dwarves. Grumpy. What's for dinner tonight? Uh, ironically, I'm cooking dinner tonight, and I have not yet decided, but something with chicken in it. Cool. <laughs> Great response. Okay. Chicken in it. There's a chicken thawing in my fridge. Yeah. It's going to be part of dinner. <laughs> That's fabulous. Do you cook? Do you cook for your family a lot, Mike? I don't. But uh, so we had a, a conversation. My wife and I had a, a conversation this weekend, and um, she went with my son to visit her mom a few weeks ago, and it was just me and my daughter at home. And so I was, of course, had to, in charge of everything. Well. She was gone. My wife was gone. And so I made like one night we made, you know, fried chicken and waffles. The next night I made like custom fancy hamburgers. And my wife's like, I heard when you, when I was gone, you made chicken and waffles. And so I said, I said that tonight I would make, I would make dinner. So yeah. 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 But usually when I make dinner, it's, it's not really on the healthy side. So <laughs> that's usually the part of the issue. But That's okay. It's called balance, you know? That's right. That's right. Very much so. Well, cool. Well, that was fun. I like that. We'll have to do that some more. So super fun. Thank you guys for bringing me on this journey. It's been cool. Of course. We're happy to have you. All right. Well, awesome. So we're going to go ahead and wrap it up now. And thank you very much again to our wonderful guest, Harriet Johnson. And we look forward to talking to you all in our next episode. Thanks, Courtney. Thank you. All right. Take care, Harriet. Thanks, guys. Bye. 
All right, let's wrap this up. If you like this podcast, please don't forget to subscribe. That really helps us out. And also, leave us a five-star rating. That's a big help, too. If you'd like, please feel free to share your thoughts in the comments as well. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time on the Leaders in Life Sciences podcast, powered by NTRA Life Sciences Consulting, where people drive results. Take care.